Welcome back to the second part of our episode, Trust Your Gut, Food, Farming, and Microbiome. In this episode, we'll be continuing our conversation with Sam, a research fellow in Singapore's Nyang Technology University on the circular economy, food waste, and the microbiome. Over to you, Amit. Why is it important to use tech and science to create the circular economies and, and solve for food challenges, you know? Of course, at Dell, we like to, you know, eliminate the concept of waste and we want to always rethink, redesign, reuse, and recycle our way to a better future. But I think you have opened my eyes to a new aspect of the business, which is around agriculture. So tell me a little bit more about how we can solve the food challenges. And, and Danny, after that, over to you. I think it's difficult, really difficult, because I first started off looking at changes in atoms. And I thought that was hard enough. And small change in atom can completely change the property of the minerals that I was looking at. And now there is such dynamicism within the soil that one tiny change sparks off a huge chain reaction. And I think the problem lies in how chemistry and physics melded during, during the 1980s and the, and the formation of silicon chips and really the intensity of innovation at that time. And I think the same now will occur on the frontiers of biology and food production and chemistry. So it's really going to be those interfaces which are key. The problems that I, I still see is, is very similar to what I, I said earlier. The amount of data is staggering. We need large-scale data science, and we need a lot of money to do the initial testing. So if you want to characterize a billion bacteria, that's an awful lot of work. And so I personally see that there'll be over the next 10 years, a lot of technique-based analysis for looking at mass-scale bacteria and fungi, and that will need computer scientists' help. There you go. That's fascinating work to see that uh, you know that sort of transformation is going to just change lives, and and I think I think that's a, a major aspect of how we can kind of capture the challenges that are happening in the agricultural business today as, as it stands. Now, I've got a, a bit of a surprise segment. It's what we do here on Future Extraordinaires. It's called This Time in BizTech. Now, the other part of the segment that I wanted to ask you about is World Food Day, right? So World Food Day is an internet. It's my favorite day of the year, by the way. It's an international day celebrated every year, right? And uh, and this is really to camaraderate all the, the kind of founding nations of food and agriculture since 1945, right? This day is kind of celebrated widely by organizations, um, you know, but mostly focused on concerns for hunger and food security for those around the world. The question to you is, how can we as individuals be more active in transforming our own personal kind of agri-food ecosystem that centers around us, right? We talk about circles of influence. That's our immediate circle of influence. What would your advice be to our listeners around what they can do to make a change? You know, in the background, while all the research and the data science, uh, you know, efforts that are going to have to be put behind this change is there, what can everyday people do? I think by far the biggest thing is eating local. Give you an example of, of where I'm from in the UK. So I live just north of Birmingham in the middle of the countryside. And there's a pie shop near me. And when I walk there, I can see all of the animals and all of the produce that went into this pie. It is such a humbling experience to see that uh, everything that is being used in this is local. There's no food mileage. It's all humane. That's what I believe in. I think in Singapore, it's tricky. 
I mean, at cold storage, you can get blueberries that come from South Africa. We can get chicken that's commonly imported from Malaysia, but also from Brazil. And I think picking local food is, is particularly important. I know there's a large expat community here. And when I first came here, getting used to laxa and getting used to the spice that can be in some of the food was, was tricky. But now I find that I, I, I eat predominantly local food. And that has been a big change and, and one which I'm very welcome to. I think locality is absolutely the key. I see the community gardens and HDBs as a, as a real good source of that. You can grow your own mangoes, grow your own fruits and veg. I think that's a great place to start. Does the microbiome in the food reduce it if you transport it or if you uh, cold storage it or if you freeze it? I mean, what, what happens at the end of the day? The argument is that if we are growing food differently and if we are distributing or selling food differently and consuming it differently, this ultimately leads to a health and wellness issue for many folks because ultimately it reduces the, it changes the gut microbiome. So I'm just trying to go back on that and say, what is it that we are doing today beyond the production, even on the distribution side, even global distribution? Does that also affect the microbiome in the food and, and what actually was, what, how it impacts our own gut microbiome? Hugely, Amit. I think this is a really important point. Uh, the bacteria that grow on plants, they feed off the sugars that the plant produces through photosynthesis. So if a plant is ripped out and it's ripped out for weeks, that bacteria are then starved of food. So inevitably, you'll have a decreased uh, microbial content. Secondly is how they get these products around. Often they're, they're stored in refrigerant environments, which are low in oxygen. Say, say they've got a lot of nitrogen, or nitrogen in, or they're cooled uh, such that bacteria could die. I mean, that's how, for instance, sushi and fish is transported, often at very, very low temperatures, so all the bacteria dies. And so we're introducing this sterility into our uh, food system. And you see it now with indoor farming that they, they advertise sterility. And I think this would be a big shift over the next 10 years as people understand how the microbiome affects so much about your behavior, your health, and your wealth. I think that's, that is fascinating. And, and I've, and I've kind of seen this challenge that is starting to bubble up. And you, you know, I want to test this with you because you're living <laughs> in this, this domain that, you know, living and breathing it every day. But I kind of see that the, the data science problem, uh, you know, the, as in the, the big data problem that you shared about earlier. And I see the the research and the pace that the research has to move at and i kind of see this this talent bridge that needs to be made in the middle uh, where you have bring domain expertise that may be kind of computational biolo biologists and people that actually understand how to extract the data and you know they don't want to really understand the underlying technology they just want to understand the data and sometimes that's really hard to get to. Do, do you see there being a kind of a talent gap around accelerating the innovation in the space? Oh, for sure. And I think this happens whenever two large segments of separate education fall together. I think a lot of that is, is from PhDs nowadays, for instance. I, I learned some coding during my PhD. I needed it to model a lot of aspects. I think that's really important to start allowing students to have diversity within their courses. I think the days of a rigid education are, are over and the days where students can pick a variety of modules, they can pick it from different areas, I think would be super, super important. I mean, outside of that, I, I, I personally subscribe to a lot of online courses. 
Um, so I'm learning one with the Soil Food Web in America. And, and that's to understand the, a basic intro to microbiology. And I, I've done that outside of my university. I think that's very important to, to seek out that education online, which is so accessible now. And that will really fill the talent gap. The people who are willing to explore that and not go down the traditional, I did a master's in this. It's quite interesting. As a parent, I, I want to ask you, if you can envision a future where technology is at work in terms of, you know, um, let's say Dell Technologies is getting along and saying, let's go put the data scientists behind the soil and behind the microbiomes and uh, um, uh, microbiology in, in terms of the, the agriculture or microbiome in the gut. Um, how do you see this to be changing in the future? Clearly, human consciousness has to change but I also think the information has to get out there, you know, in terms of people understanding the choices they're making, people uh, understanding how taking the right action really is good for them, right? And that's what I'm kind of walking away. But I'm still trying to understand, let's say 10 years down the road, everyone is kind of behind this, how things will change across the world from end-to-end system perspective. Ooh, that is a difficult question and probably one which you might be better at answering than I. I think your experience of, of large-scale Dell projects will really be handy with that. I think for me, it all has to start with the supermarket. The supermarket was both the terror and also the savior of food poverty. But they give frighteningly little education. When you walk into a supermarket, it's designed purely for profit and not for health. The way in which uh, items are laid out is all to get you to buy the middle product, which is four and a half feet off the floor. And the healthy stuff might be at the top or the bottom. I think it's, I would love to see that. I think one of my, one of my core principles is that to be proud of your work and educate others. And really, you, you need to see companies start educating. We need to take it away from, from government, from top-down perspectives. We need to start seeing companies educate their users and for users to accept that. In a, in a common way. So does that mean that the, you know, the products that are food processed, you know, which basically are long shelf life, a lot of calories, um, but not much of microbiomes, does that mean those are not healthy and we should just go for local fresh product produce and consume it without being refrigerated and, and or frozen? Is that kind of the first action we should be thinking about? Yeah, I think that sounds good. There was a, a new type of apple, I believe. I think my brother mentioned it to me. And it will have a shelf life of over a year. I think, don't you think that's incredible? The idea that you're eating an apple which was picked off a tree over a year ago. I mean, it just sounds not healthy. Uh, whilst the science is still out, I think that's a, a big, part of, um, big part of the issue is that science is just beginning to realize how important the microbiome is, but it's not quite enough to get on the news all the time, to get in people's minds, to be part of the dogma now. And it, it's, that's, a, that's a very tricky stage. Really, I think eating locally is, is the easiest way to increase your gut microbiome health. And there's an old adage in the UK, so if you eat local honey, you don't get hay fever. And that's because a lot of the bees give you an innate taste of that pollen. And so you don't get allergic reactions to it in the future. So it sounds like we've just come out with the first Snow White 
Apple. That's what you're saying. So yeah, so so trust. Trust is gonna be a new thing in definition of how this progresses forward as well. So it's just a trifecta of, uh, of aspects that are going to have to come together in order to move things along. If supermarkets could have a picked date, that'd be fascinating. You know, they say where it's from currently. That, that was from public pressure and from government pressure, but they never say when it was picked. That would be a huge boon for, for locally farmed produce. Quite interesting. How do we solve for this? I mean, what do we need to do going forward? I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating topic to think about how what we are doing in agriculture affects our own health, our own gut microbiome, and our own resilience in terms of responding to viruses and other things. And, and somehow we have changed what we produce, how we produce, how we distribute, how we consume, and now we require a rethink. So what do we need to do to move this forward to some sort of outcome? That is a positive outcome, as you see it. Oh, a tricky question. I mean, I can give the example a bit of, of Europe at the moment. They have extremely good infrastructure around Central Europe. So, for instance, products which are picked in the Netherlands, tomatoes, can be on UK supermarket shelves within 24 hours. Now, that is incredible. And I think a lot of producers solved this issue. Milk is very much the same in the UK, 24 hours, and it's being sold in supermarkets. The logistics are already there for a lot of products if you go local, if you go seasonal. Now, the issue is that it's going to take three weeks for a ship to get from Brazil or Chile holding all of your delicious blueberries uh, to come to Singapore. So part of that is is the public's diet. I mean, I, I personally love blueberries and I have to rein myself in when they're not in season because I know that the, the air mileage and the traffic mileage is, is too large. To put some perspective on that, I think in, in Singapore at the moment, if you 11% of red meat is, is eaten as the uh, total food intake in Singapore, but that 11%, because it's flown in by aeroplane, accounts for 50% of transport greenhouse gases emissions total within Singapore. So for all food being brought in, all of that 90%, 50% of those emissions derive from just 11% of the produce. And that's because it's all being flown in. So if you can avoid very fresh meat in that respect and look for local fresh meat, that would be a, a huge advantage to the system and really tell the big food manufacturers how we want to eat in the future. Great. Thanks, Sam, for joining us on Future Extraordinaire. Any closing comments for our listeners? Trust your gut, be proud of your work, and educate others. I would just say thank you again for your time. And Danny and I would like to say thank you for uh, your time, for listeners as well. I learned a lot, uh, starting from how much water a, a kg of cocoa takes to, um, you know, why a frozen or a, you know, long shelf life food is bad for the gut microbiome. So, and those of course are good for you in terms of long uh, longevity, as well as from quality of living perspective. Supposedly, the gut is your pharmacy of the body, right? It's a natural pharmacy. So over to you, Danny, um, to close it off and um, and tell our subscribers and our listeners to subscribe to this. Uh... That's right. They, they just need to trust their gut. And that's my takeaway. <laughs> I love it. You know, please, if you've enjoyed the podcast today, please subscribe. Please leave a review. Tell your friends, uh, you know, about all of this. And, and of course, 
we're trying to really find our dreamers and, and doers. Uh, Dr. Morris was a great example of that. And please stay tuned to our next episode of Future Extraordinaire. Thank you very much for having me on, guys. It's been a pleasure.